Do you remember the day, the details of the day he saved your soul? I mean, it's the best day of our lives, right? You remember, do you remember what it was like? Do you remember where you were when he saved your soul? Do you think about that? Were you in a church service like this? Were you driving down the road in your car? Where, Where were you at? Were you at home? Were you outside just enjoying creation and, and, and God's word speaking to your heart? Is that when he saved your soul? Where were you? Who was with you that day? Do you remember that? Maybe, maybe you're talking to a pastor. Maybe you were talking with friends. Maybe your parents. Maybe you were alone. Maybe it was just you and God and you're just talking. And that's when he saved your soul. Do you remember that? And do you remember what it was like when you came to the realization of what your sin had done to you before God? And you knew that you were guilty. You remember having that feeling and knowing that there was nothing you could, could do to fix that? And, and the sense really of desperation about that. And, and then knowing that he loved you anyway and that he loved you. To, he wanted you to come into a relationship with him. He wanted to forgive you. You remember the joy of that? I mean, that's worth celebrating, right? That's worth remembering from now until the day we go home. That's worth celebrating. We've been talking about going through this series on uh, soul detox. Kevin's not here today. I I think he's at Kohl's shopping for some jeans. He's, in, he's taking some vacation, getting some time to rest. But we've been in this slow, series, Soul Detox. On that day, when he, when, he, when he saved us, he changed us. He changed our eternal destiny. He changed our identities. We've been talking about decontaminating our souls. He cleaned us up. That's exactly what Jesus did for us on the day he saved us. We're changed. Our identity is changed. You know, we, we talk a lot about being sinners, and we, all, we, we get that. We all are. We're, we're messed up, no doubt about it. But from the day he saved your soul, do you realize that that's not your primary identity? Just think about some of the ways the believers are addressed in the New Testament, some of the letters that are written and how they are introduced. Like in Romans 1-7, Paul says, To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints... Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 2. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who are in every place, who, who in every place call on the name of the Lord, call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. 2 Corinthians 1 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. 
Colossians 1-2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Do you get the idea? He, he's not saying, hey, to all the sinners at Rome, <laughs> to, to all the, the messed up people at Ephesus, that, that would have been factually true. No, but what we see here is everyone who's trusted in Jesus and his sacrifice for us is called a saint. We're saints. That's our primary identity. Now, maybe we don't say that much because maybe we think it sounds a little weird. Maybe we think it sounds a little arrogant. It's not when you understand it. And we're going to talk about that. But that's, that's our primary identity now. It's no longer that we're just sinners. Primarily what we are are saints. Saints who sometimes sin, yes, but when we do it, it's really out of character with who God made us to be. See, the word saints means holy ones. Holy ones. So we're supposed to live our lives in a way that's acceptable to God. Holy. Pure. Different from the world. Holy has this idea of separation. We're separated from the world. We're separated to God. We're supposed to live in a way that's pleasing to him. And of course we know, again, we aren't perfect. We we aren't holy in ourselves, far from it. There is to be a, a desire in our life and a discipline in our life, a practical holiness that we try to live out through God's power. But there's also this positional holiness where we've been made holy by him. And we're going to talk about how that happened and what that means in just a little bit. But that... Everyone who has placed their trust in Christ is, in fact, a saint. They're not people who go through some long process of being recognized by the church and having pulled off some miracle somehow. No, saints are all those whose lives have been changed by Christ. It happened the day, if you're a follower, it happened the day you, he saved your soul. In trusting him, that's what happened. We've been changed. We've all been made new. Talk about being new. Uh, some of you have heard Becky and I are new grandparents. Um, thank, you. thank you. It's great. I'm still trying to get my mind around that idea. That I'm, but, uh, but, um, but Aaron, I think we got a picture of him. Yeah. He was born Friday. He was uh, eight pounds, 21 inches. And uh, doing great. Christy's doing great. And Jim, and they should be home. We're hoping later today. But there's a brand new life, you know, brand new. Uh, and, and, and all the hopes and, and dreams that go with that, it's exciting, isn't it? That's what we're talking about in Christ. That's what's happened for us. We've been given a brand new life. The, the Bible talks about that new life in 2 Corinthians 6. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. 2 Corinthians 6, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, excuse me. Uh, actually, one of my favorite passages, uh, starting in verse 16. Kevin touched on part of this last week. We're, we're just going to make our way through it here. In verse 16, it says this. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, Paul says, because of what he's just said, 
And, and Paul's been talking about the fact that he's, been, he's con- constrained by or controlled by Christ's love. And, and being controlled by that love because he rec- he's recognized what Christ has done for us. That he has in fact died for us and, and rose again for us so that he could, men could live for him and he could save us. Therefore, from now on, he says, and what he's talking about is from that point when we've come to Christ. From now on, from the day he saved your soul, we recognize no man according to the flesh. From that point, things change for us. And our identity changed in such a way that we even recognize people differently. We start looking at people not the regular old way, not the natural way. We're looking at things from an eternal perspective. Instead of just looking at the normal outside things of people, we're thinking about the eternal perspective. And because we understand what Christ has done, and we know what he's done for us, we want other people to experience that. And so our constant thought is the people that are me- I'm meeting, that I'm running into, the people that are around me, do they know him? Has their identity been changed? For those that don't know him, we want them to know him. For those that do, we want them to be encouraged and strengthen that. So we're constantly looking at them from an eternal perspective. Do they know Christ? That change is so amazing that he says in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. If anyone's in Christ, there's the key, right? If they're in Christ, they're a new creature. Actually, that word has this idea, the full meaning of a creative act that only God could accomplish. There's a, at the moment he saved us, there's this, completely recreation of us. In fact, what he did when he saved us is he restored us to that original purpose that was given to Adam of reflecting his image. So he wants us, that's how we're designed, that's how he's now recreated us, he, and to reflect that image, he describes it here, the old is gone, gone. The, the, the Greek verb tense is, is it's gone. At a moment in time, it disappeared. That old stuff, in that moment, it was done. The moment he saved us, it was gone. All the old values and ideas and plans and desires and beliefs, they ended. Most importantly, all of the guilt and all of the shame, it's done. Old is gone, it vanished. Our souls were at that moment decontaminated. There's good news. Even better, he says, behold, the news come. Now, behold, it sounds sort of formal to us, didn't it? Behold. <laughs> but it's the exact opposite of that. that. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, getting excited about what's happened to us. Okay? It's like if, if you happen to have been watching um, some football yesterday, Maybe watching Ohio State tear apart Rutgers, you know. um, and and you and the person you're watching it with stepped into the other room, and then some big play happened, and you wanted them to see it. Well, they showed it on replay, so you're yelling at it, "Hey, come, come, you got to see this! Come here!" That's what Paul's doing. He's like, "You got to see this! Look at this! The new has come." And he changes the verb tense from that 
The old is gone. That moment in time, it all vanished. All that old stuff disappeared. To the new has come, a perfect tense, which tells us it happened at a moment in time, but it continues to have lasting effects on our lives. What he's saying here is this, that at that moment when he saved us, that moment, the old went away, the new started, and it's been new ever since. The new has come. We're still new. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the faith. You could have been saved for 30, 40 years. You're still new in Christ. We don't become less new as time goes by. Our little grandson, Aaron, hopefully God blesses him with a long life. But, and if he does, what's going to happen is Aaron's eventually going to grow old, right? In Christ, as his new creation that doesn't happen to us. We are always and forever new. We found the fountain of youth spiritually. And that's why we celebrate. It's good stuff, right? This is how he's reinvented us, recreated us. He's, he's totally changed who we are. Old disappeared. New came, and it's been having an effect on us ever since, and it will until the day we go home. That's good news, isn't it? For a guy who just became a grandpa, it's good news to know that you're not getting old. <laughs> We're new. You say, how so? What's new about us? What, what's that mean for us? Well, we see that as we get a little further in the passage here. Verse 18 says, Now in all these things... Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, all these things, Paul says, are from God. We're grateful for that. We acknowledge that. We, we know we couldn't have brought this incredible change to our lives. We couldn't have made ourselves new. We couldn't get away with the old and bring all this new stuff to us. That couldn't have happened. We couldn't have been reconciled to God. We're rec we recognize that he reconciled us to himself. That word reconciliation actually was used in, in uh, marriage records from that time. When a couple who had, who had been separated somehow worked out their problems and got back together. This is the word that was used. They were reconciled. That's what happened with us. We were separated from God and we were reconciled to him. Got back with him. He brought us to himself. He chose to rescue us and bring us into a relationship with him. And then on top of that, as good as that is, he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Man, it's an opportunity. Br bringing a message to people who don't know Christ. What was done to us we have the opportunity to have a hand in that for other people. We get to pass on this message that God desires to have a relationship with them. That's our purpose. That's what he's given us to do. That's, that's an amazing opportunity, isn't it? If we're remembering the day that he saved our soul and we know all that he did for us and then to think we get to have a part in that happening for other people people maybe that we know and love that they would come to know Christ that's exciting we've got to you know we try every once in a while to, to, to find ways to, to uh, give you opportunity uh, to 
to accomplish that in your lives through, through what we do here at church. And that's, we've got an opportunity coming up for, for our campus here in Fremont and in Paulding to help all of us accomplish that ministry. Um, Kevin's going to tell you more about it later. I can't really tell you about it. But, <laughs> but it's going to be a great opportunity. And it's tied to our Christmas series. You're going to want to be involved. I can't tell you about it, but it's really good. Sometimes, you know, people get nervous about sharing their faith. This is going to be a way for you to take a step in that that's not going to make you nervous. It's really, really good. But I can't tell you about it. <laughs> it has the potential, I believe, of reaching a ton of people for Christ here in Impaldi. So you're going to want to hang on, get involved when it comes along. Again, Kevin's going to tell you about it. So... But we get a chance to fulfill the very purpose he's called us to, sharing this message. This message. It's not just any old news, is it? It's a message that is grounded in truth. A message that maintains the supremacy of God because we are reconciled to him. It's not the other way around, right? God, who is sovereign and supreme and transcendent, doesn't need to be reconciled to us. We need to be reconciled to him. That's our message, that we serve a God who is, who is all that and more, and man needs to be reconciled to him, and we know the way that can happen. It's a message that's centered in, that maintains that supremacy, is grounded in truth, it's centered in Christ. Again, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He's the center of it. Reconciling only happens because of him. There's no other option. What Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is no other option. There's no other way. It doesn't happen through any other religious leader or any philosophy or anything. There's no way other than through Christ. He's the center of it. As a message of God's grace. It maintains truth. It's centered in Christ. And it's a message of God's grace. He's in this was in this world in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Though so that was good news for all of us. He wasn't, no matter what we've done, he wasn't counting our, he took that on himself, not counting our trespasses against us. It's good news for all those people we want to share that message with. And then he committed to us the word of reconciliation. He committed it to us. Literally, that word committed means he placed it in us. This is what we were made for. If you're a believer, and you're not feeling fulfilled, it's probably because you're not doing the very thing you were called to do. Sharing the message of reconciliation. Sometimes we try to find fulfillment in the wrong ways as Christians even. We go searching for something. You ever, you ever use, try to use the, the wrong tool to get something done? You know, you can't find the right one? So you grab something that was made for something else and try to use it that way. I, I remember one time we were uh, on vacation. We were going through 
traveling through Des Moines, Iowa, and it was right at rush hour, and I came over a little hill, and we are in our van, all the kids are in there, and the, we have a camper on the back, and I come over this little hill, and there's a sheet, uh, piece of sheet metal in the road. I couldn't miss it. I hit it, and the tire on the camper uh, was just slashed. And so the camera's back there all over the road, and I'm trying to pull over, and I finally get it off the road, but I can't get off very far because the camper's a little bit wider, and I'm just, I'm right there on the edge of the road, and cars are just flying by, and I'm holding my breath as I'm trying to change this tire with every car that goes by. I'm just feeling like I'm dead at any second, you know. And, and, but the thing is, I don't have a four-way with me, you know, so all I've got's a ratchet and socket set, and I'm trying to change, you know, the, the, the wheel's a little too deep, and so I am just busting, literally busting my knuckles. There's blood everywhere. It's just, you know, yeah. But um, trying to change this tire until some guy pulls up in a, in a pickup with a little light on top, and he's got a sign on the side of his door, Highway Helper. <laughs> well, this is nice. He's like, hey, can I help you? I was like, yeah, do you have a four-way? And he's like, yeah, I got one. And he goes back and grabs one. And then he comes over and he bends down and starts changing my tire for me. That was, that was cool. He had the right tool. He was using it for what it was designed for. We go looking for some way to find fulfillment in life, and yet we're doing it, and, and we're, we're trying to do it in a way we're not made. God reconciled us to himself and the way he recreated us was made in such a way that we would share this message of reconciliation with other people. It's intrinsic to what we are now that we know him. It's who I am. It's who you are. It's how the word's going to get out (laughs) through us, through those he's already saved. Look at verse 20. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Therefore, logically then, in light of what he's just said about how he's taken our lives and made them new, and the message he gave to us to share. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Man, you talk about a high and holy purpose. Talk about something that'll make your day, realizing that as you walk out of here today, you're an ambassador, you represent him in this world. We're ambassadors for Christ, as Zogar were making an appeal through us, and he is. God making his appeal to this world through us. Those he's recreated. And then Paul gives out his appeal to the people who were at Corinth who didn't know Christ. We beg you. It's an emotional, but we beg you. It's the same request that we make today. Those that are sitting here right now, those that sit here in Fremont, those in Paldi, we'd be begging you, if you don't know him, be reconciled to God through his son. He 
made a way through his son. Take the step. He'll make you new. He will give you new life that will last for eternity. You can be reconciled to him. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life, good or bad. You need reconciliation with him. And he can do that for you if you'll turn to him. He made the way through his son when he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He made him who knew no sin. He had no personal knowledge of it. He had never sinned. He was sinless. Even unbelievers at that time noticed it. Pilate, Pilate repeatedly affirmed Jesus' innocence, right? He said, I find no guilt in this man. The thief on the cross that that turned to him said, this man has done nothing wrong. Even the centurion who was in charge of the execution said, certainly this man was innocent. And what none of them may have actually understood was that he was not only innocent in what he was charged at at the time, he was innocent in all things, absolutely sinless, absolutely holy, but willing to die in our place to be sin, to be sin. What what does that mean, to be sin? Well, we know what it doesn't mean. We know it doesn't mean that Jesus became a sinner on the cross, as some are falsely teaching today. Jesus didn't become a sinner on the cross. If he became a sinner on the cross, then that sacrifice was absolutely pointless. He had to be the innocent, pure son of God and man as he hung on that cross. Doesn't mean he became a sinner. What it's saying is that taking on our sin was so profound. The effect of him assuming the guilt of our sin and facing the wrath of God and bearing the guilt and penalty for our sin was so profound that Paul describes it as becoming sin. He he did all that becoming sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that we could share in the righteousness of God himself. The day he saved our souls, he made us clean. He decontaminated us completely. He declared us righteous. That's why we're saints. That's why we're holiness. And that's why it's not... It's not arrogant to to take on that name because we know we didn't do that ourselves. We had nothing to do with it. And that's how we're new. That's why we are his. He purchased us. He paid the price. Do you remember the day he saved your soul? If you don't know when that happened and if you're not sure that happened, I, I, would, I would beg you, be reconciled to God. Turn to him. He'll forgive you your sin. He'll recreate you, give you new life, give you a purpose that's beyond yourself. 
And he'll do that for all eternity. He loves you so much. Don't let another day go by without turning to him. And if you're a believer and you know there's a day that he actually saved you, and I'd encourage you to do a few things, at least a couple things. Make sure you take time regularly to go back and remember the day he saved your soul. And find encouragement there. Know that he changed you, gave you a new life. He made you his holy one, his saint, to represent him in this world. Make sure you can tell that story to others. Make an appeal. Let God use you to reach others in this world who need to know him. Don't shy away from that. Don't hold back. How can we hold back something so incredible? Let him use you in this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. The song we listened to earlier says, God, my love is yours. My heart is yours. My life is yours forever. God, thank you that we can can, can know you and give ourselves to you. We do love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you that you first loved us. Drew us to yourself. And gave us new life. We thank you for that. Father, we pray that we'd be faithful to represent you in this world. And for those, Father, who might be here that haven't come to that point, Father, I pray that today they would trust you, turn to you, be reconciled to you today. Thank you for the opportunity that has been given to them and that was given to all of us because of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand together. It's a song I grew up on, one maybe a lot of you did. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean, singing how marvelous. song shall ever be.